0: I suppose who I try to be is living up to, to the good things that my mum puts out into the world more than anything else that that I do or have done. Business is a, is a conduit to the thing that I love, which is, which is people. The reality of it is, if you don't, if you don't get people to talk, if you can't normalise that, then you're reducing as an investor your chances of success. Anyway, you can't prepare the the path of the child you've got to prepare the child for the path mm.
1: so this is vulnerable the first founder mental health podcast powered by founders taboo let's get into it welcome
0: thanks good to see you
1: yeah how are you yeah i'm good this very unconventional they always are um i think people who come onto this pod think i've got like streams of notes <laughs> off the cuff completely it's the best stuff isn't it best content is 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 raw content authentic content you know
0: well you and i've been having some great chats we have over the last few weeks anyway haven't we
1: I? have yeah yeah um a real confidant or confidant whichever l- language you f- you prefer to speak um so yeah thank you for everything you've you've done actually for me and all the advice you've given over the last few weeks it's been invaluable uh, and as somebody i respect immensely in the industry even though i've only known you for about a month <laughs> uh and then i when we met when we were on the andy import podcast i looked at your linkedin profile and i was like fuck this guy's done shit tons and then also invested in dream factory and all that kind of stuff which we'll get on to in a bit but um yeah thank you and we can actually talk about this because when this will go out, um, uh, I will have announced what's what's happened with me. So, so yeah.
0: Uh, for me, it's it's really interesting because we all, this is all about business in so many ways. That's what you know the narrative is. Yeah. But actually, for me, it's never been about that. Yeah. Business is a, is a conduit to the thing that I love, which is which is people. Yeah. It was just my route into working with with amazing folk and and so if you if you have a I suppose if it's your approach to put people first then you're going to always try to do that. Yeah. And and if you find somebody who needs help then you're always going to try and focus on that first.
1: It's going in and out literally bring the microphone up to your mouth yeah don't you move. Speak. Like that? Perfect there we good. go right. i won't even edit this out either it's good it's good content um yeah no i, I completely shows why i'm such a
0: noob doesn't it yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah invested in a in a content factory it. It doesn't and, know how to yeah, use a microphone and is yeah. so village in his that, approach to using a microphone that would be so typical for me <laughs> sees the opportunity doesn't matter <laughs> <laughs> yeah you invest in a great person though in graham um so um Talk to me about
0: Marcus. Who, who are you really? Like, like, who, who, who are you? Me. I'm probably more than anything my mother's son. So if that's if there's anything that defines me. Likewise, by the way. Um, you know, my dad left when I was two. Didn't really have no memory of my dad being at home because I was too young. Gosh. Um, and my, and so the formative person in my life. It was always my mum, and my mum is you know, thankfully still with us at the age of eighty-seven, slowing down but as sharp as a tack. Amazing, and and she's the eternal optimist. She's warm and giving and friendly, and she, the the way I always describe my mum is, she's the kind of person that you might, as a stranger, have had a three-minute conversation with her at a bus stop, but you're probably getting a hug at the end of it. Really? Yeah. That's lovely. And that's what our house was like growing up. So, you know, one could look at it and say, well, your dad left when you are two, and, but, but, you know, I grew up in a house full of warmth and love, and I'm sure that didn't make it easy for my mum always, because, you know, she was just a regular teacher, regular teacher salary, but we never felt that it was, you know it was always a, an amazing place to be. How did that impact
1: you growing up? I don't think it did
0: really really because i didn't I didn't understand it. I think my sister you know probably had she was eighteen months old and she had memories of my dad being there, but I didn't really meet my dad until I was four so So that was just how it had always been. I didn't know, I didn't know a different world hadn't, you know, Oh, there's this big figure in your life and they've suddenly they're not here anymore. And that changes things. It was, that was just normal life to me. So I think, I think that's a lot of, I suppose, who I try to be is living up to, to the good things that my mum puts out into the world more than anything else that, that I do or have done. That's that's where it all comes from.
1: I'm hoping you'll show her this, a little clip of this. We'll cut it up for you because that's really nice.
0: Well, we talk about and you know she's a very open person. You know, really, I'll, I'll, you know I'll go to see her this Saturday. I'll take her out for you know we'll go out for coffee. I'll take her shopping, do some jobs in the house. Nice. Um, and and I'll, I'll. Does she live near you, Nicknam? No, she lives you know my formative place, which is North London. Right. So she lives up in Weston sort of. Way. oh really
1: yes yes of course we spoke about that yeah
0: yeah so gosh. so we'll well i'll i'll tell her about this i i talk about the fact of the influence that mm. that she had on on who i am uh because how could you not if it, we, we were always taught to open up about things my, my i suppose a lot of why where i get my optimism from is the fact that we were always encouraged when we're young to talk. Right. So my mum had this saying, has this saying, a trouble shared is a trouble halved. Yes, of course. And she used to drill that into us. And so she was very good at saying, "Mm, something's not quite right here. Mm. Will you, you know, what's going on? She was very good at just in in the nicest possible way, picking at that Mm. until you spoke about it. Mm.
1: How did you get into startups?
0: Startups. Well, I when I started my career, well, I suppose we should go back to the to the mid '80s when computers started to become a thing. Yes. So I got a ZX81, Sinclair ZX81 with 1K of memory. Wow. In, when pretty, you order them via mail order. I think my mum got one from ordered it out of a newspaper because she knew I was quite interested in things and how things worked. So I had this little thing. This this keyboard with no well it wasn't really a keyboard really? it was it, it, it was basically touch type but but you, you almost had to hit the keys with a hammer <laughs> to get them to work and you know 1k is 1024 bytes that's 1024 characters in total to program with and then you get a 16k expansion module for your, for your next birthday and all of a sudden your world has changed yeah 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 because, you, know, you copy games out of magazines. So I suppose that's where a lot of my interest came from, to start with. But I wasn't a very good coder. So I knew how they worked, and I was I was fortunate. so I suppose, to a certain extent, we're all, you know, products of our time. Yes. So being that first generation where you could have a computer at home, you know, that didn't take up an entire room. Uh, you know, you've got to be... If you're interested in that's a great time to be around if if there's an interesting career for you ahead of that Mm. so that's where it started but i wasn't a very good coder Mm. really i could do stuff and i got what they did but i figured that probably that wasn't the right path Mm. i'd always been interested in how do you i had my first job when i was 10. so i I suppose there was always a bit of hustle so-called in there I was interested, my mate Paddy down the road, um, seemed to be earning £5 on a Saturday and I was getting 20p pocket money. So, so I thought, well, yeah, I'd I'd quite like some of that action, please. Raging injustice. Yeah. What, what, what? Hey, what? And he was delivering milk. So I said, well, okay. Well, how do I get one of those? One of those jobs? So I, between the age of 10 and 15, I got up at 5.30 every Saturday and Sunday. Went up to the dairy or, or got my mum to drive me when I couldn't be bothered to walk up the hill. Um, bless her. Uh and, and deliver milk for a few hours with the milkman. Every Saturday and Sunday. So so I suppose my roots in were partly based on what if I look back, there's there was a bit of computing there somewhere. Yes. And, and then also adds uh, a little bit of hustle. A little bit of you know, bit of how do you make money, yeah. what do you do and, and thinking that I might at some point I might want to work for myself. I don't really know where that ever came from, mm. but it seemed to always be there. Uh, I, I, I failed probably in, in most of the first things that I did. I remember my mum having to bail me out <laughs> with a little money that she didn't have of a, of a nightclub promotion thing that didn't quite work. You know, you book a club, which you've got to pay some money for, because I didn't, understand that they made almost the money from the bar so yeah you know you make those mistakes and and then it was choosing like nobody turned up didn't manage to sell enough tickets and so I had a it, it you know yeah. these days it doesn't but it was like 150 quid which actually was a lot yeah for me back then so I I was I knew I wanted to do it I just didn't have any reference points for how you did really there was no internet yeah back then. Of course you know we're talking about you know the mid 80s so you just trying to do what you can Can you buy something can you sell something yeah how do you, you know, what, what do you do to create something that makes a bit of money that means you don't have to go and get a job necessarily moving into your first
1: job and into the career in startups
0: i suppose it did although i, I went to work for big companies yeah. well I actually i left school at 16. really so i didn't i didn't i didn't really went to a typical north london comprehensive I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it was a bad school I enjoyed it. I had, you know, enjoyed being there with my friends, but didn't really get school.
1: So funny. I know so many fucking people like that, me included and my brother. My parents spent, uh, and I'm unashamed to say this, um, and also ashamed to say, say it in the same breath. Uh, I am privately educated, as some may to be able to tell. Um, <laughs> um, but my parents spent so much money. On our school feels like eye-watering sums of money for my brother and I my sister was fantastic at school and loved it <clears throat> but for my brother and I basically to sort of fuck around and feel like school never ever gave me anything other than a headache
0: it's funny isn't it that the system of education if you want to bore you know, a load of kids. You know, get them into, get thirty kids into a into a classroom, talk at them, and then get them to make notes from a textbook. Which was, I'm not saying there weren't some, some inspirational teachers when I was there. There were, there were, you know, two or three who really got me interested in the topic, English mm. and writing and things like that in particular. But, but a lot of it felt oh, mm. doing this. Yes, I'd rather be, you know, out. I could see the point in going out to work and, and yes. earning some money, but here I am, two hundred. Pages of textbook, write notes, whatever it was. So so I got I got through my what O levels now GCSEs somehow without really doing a stroke of work, but but not not very good ones. Yes. The, the interesting same here. I mean the, the interesting joke of it now is I still don't have a maths GCSE. But I've run a bank. <laughs> really yeah i don't have a i don't have a maths TC because we we had i think we had a supply teacher for the last six eight months of studying for maths o level so i don't think we did the stroke of work i certainly didn't fucking hell we were just you know mucking about and you ran a bank so i've 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 you know with with norris i've been involved in building monies yeah. up from from a word document through you know I, I finally stepped out it just prior to the series C and I sort of you know ran a lot of the commercial side of that business yeah that is epic <laughs> so so in in that sense education I'm not saying it doesn't have a value but but I know so many people who the path of, of education which is in some sense the ultimate aim of our system of schooling is to create university professors yes it's to create robots yeah and 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 that's right if you're academic but no but but i said at my school i don't know the stats of this but for the people i know from school i would say at my school there's a disproportionate number of people who went on to start their own businesses of whatever kind mm. of all sorts, you know. My one of my best mates from school, known since I was seven, he's I don't know, he's got about five businesses at the moment. Mm. And I, and there were a lot of kids, I think, people, whether it was their own decorating business, their own gardening business, somebody went and become, you know, stand, a successful stand up comedian. There, there were all kinds of and people just had different routes it didn't mean just because they didn't get the academics see i think that's fascinating because
1: in the private school system
0: i would say there's a
1: disproportionate amount of people who go on through the private school system go to university of course because that's what everybody does now but then goes into a corporate job and won't ever leave that corporate job (laughs) they they wouldn't dare start their own business
0: it's interesting isn't it
1: Mm. It, like I, i would i know I don't know any one of my peers who have started a business.
0: So, so I left school at 16, went to work in a camera shop Mm. in the West End. I registered abandoned cars for Barnet Council. I Did database entry for another local authority. Just, you know, was just trying to work out what I want to do. And when I was 17, I went back to college and did a business course for BTEC. And all of a sudden things started to make, why I might study, started to make a bit of sense. So we would have somebody come in, let's say from an advertising agency and going, well, here's a product that we're working with. Here's how you make an advertising campaign. You've got two weeks. Do it. Come up with an advertising campaign. And you've got to present it to me. You know, this is what a pitch is. You're going to pitch it to me when I'm back in two weeks. Okay. Well, that sounds quite interesting. So, so I, I went through this, this business group while I was working at the same time was at that time I, doing, I think I was doing ad production at a small kitchen and kitchen bedroom bathroom trade magazine, uh, which was a, it, which is interesting in that it was a small business growing mm. quite fast. Um, and so I got to say, well, okay, I can relate what I'm studying to something that's, that, that, that's going on. Eventually went to... What's now? What's a Brooks? What's for Polly? Did a yep. business degree with a year out. That year out was uh, Vitti's biscuits. So I started become a great, great training ground. Oh, I bet yeah. You get teach you all th- sort of things about again how to use technology for business, um, how to develop a product, how to market it, how to sell. They offered me a job, luckily somehow uh because there was no entrepreneur i still had in the back of my mind that i wanted to do something for myself but but it it was a great place to work and i worked with some some amazing people who, who taught me a lot there worked there in, in the uk managed to get myself sent to tokyo for three years um working with united biscuits but also partly with the european that's fucking commercial. cool that- been to tokyo
1: once for the world cup final in 2019 and I was I was on crutches because I dislocated my knee two months before. <laughs> so I was crutching around Tokyo, but one epic, epic place.
0: Yeah, it's, if you like cities, mm. Tokyo isn't one of the best ones yeah. to be in, in the world. It's, yeah.
1: The metro system, my word, uh, so confusing because it's not in English. And you're looking at it going, fuck, how do I get from here to here? Like, I have no idea. Um, Got lost several times, but yeah, it's a side point, yeah. But, and then,
0: so the internet was just kicking off when I was there. So I went there, sort of early part of 95, and, you know, Yahoo, yeah. everything, dial-up connections. Yeah. Hey, well. so, so relating back to my mm, computers, this could be a thing, seems to be interesting things going on. I thought I've got to, I've got to find a way of getting into this. Didn't know how, again, no reference points, no connections, found a job. And I came back to the UK with Dulux Paints, ICI, yep. Some with a marketing job that also I managed to wheedle my way into what they were doing with the website. Nice. So that was 97. Really? Still got this entrepreneurial urge Yes. to go and get involved. Internet's got to be the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything's going wild. Got to get into that. Was headhunted into an incubator by a friend of mine in two thousand.
1: That must be would have been that must have been one of the early, really, really early embryonic kind of
0: incubators. No, I, don't, I think incubators were almost done by then. Actually, so really? they went. Yeah, the real eighteen months of the dot com boom, where you know you could almost float a bag of hot air on on the alternative investment market. Uh, I think that I, I I joined them four months after the NASDAQ crashed. But, you know, the bubble had definitely burst. Wow. And I, I got this job running a uh, so-called, cool, because I'd come from marketing, I was running this advertising network for them. Honestly, not the first clue what I was doing. I bet. I mean, <clears throat> I used to go out and get my sandwich at lunchtime and... You know, I was working with some really lovely, amazing people, but I was meant to be leading them. And I really had not. I I used to go and get my sandwich, take an extra walk around the block. What am I actually going to do this afternoon that might be meaningful? (laughs) And and it felt like that for months. Hey, can I
1: ask a massive favour? Can you subscribe to this podcast right now if you haven't already? Your subscribes. Your sharing, your liking, your commenting all over social media is increasing our reach. And it's meaning that founders out there know it's okay to talk about their mental health. Thank you.
2: Vulnerable, a Founders to Be podcast, has been created to raise awareness on the highs, lows, and taboos of the founder journey, to amplify the raw and unfiltered stories of founders, and to remind those listening that they are not alone. Founders Taboo is a movement dedicated to improving access to support for founders' mental health and well-being in order to build a healthier startup ecosystem as a whole. Entrepreneurship is undeniably hard, but it doesn't have to cause hardship. We know that entrepreneurship is often lonely, but it doesn't have to be. Our support includes a safe space to take off the mask and interact with fellow founders in a free online community. You can access hundreds of psychologically informed resources and exercises to build up your mental health literacy. You can source and connect with startup and well-being professionals. You can participate in live support sessions, attend retreats, and much more. We want to promote mindfulness and entrepreneurship. Harmony rather than conflict between health and building a business. And this all starts with speaking out and breaking some taboos. Join the movement. All founders are welcome. Follow us on LinkedIn to keep up to date and get involved.
1: How did that feel? Because that's kind of like it. where imposter syndrome probably savages you or ravages you, whichever adjective you want to use. There,
0: it was really hard. I mean, you know, we're trying to do things, create products, yeah. make some sales somehow, do something. But but trying to come up with a plan of of of, of what we do and and how we do it, it was it was quite emotional at times. Really? You know, I think I really. Am I doing everybody a disservice, or I should just stop? Yeah, yeah. And somehow you just found a way to go in the next day. That's how I felt for the last eighteen months. And and do it again. Yeah. You know how do you what what uh, you know? And I, I know we're we're all meant to know what we're doing, yeah. but I really didn't. And how the fuck do you build SaaS? <laughs> what? Well, yeah, exactly. And <laughs> but I mean, l- lucky I had, you know I had I'd taken two people there with me, and they were they were really smart, and we had we had a great lead coder, and and we just kept going somehow. And although there wasn't a great plan, mm-hmm. we eventually found a way to sell some stuff to somebody. It wasn't meant to be what we were selling, but we found a way of bringing some money in. Yes. I suppose more by giving advice mm-hmm. than anything else. So we we finished up there. It didn't, I mean, that business kind of like folded in on itself and the guys who we'd been running it for. Uh, and I suppose we'd we'd seen that coming. So it didn't, that, that long wind down with them was wasn't too traumatic is that your first experience of a wind down of that type I suppose yeah yeah uh yeah I mean i you know I'd done lots of other things that hadn't really got off the ground yeah uh that, that hadn't worked in you know trying to hustle my way pre-internet of you know buy this sell that I I, I definitely failed but of that nature. Of that nature, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. But it, uh, I suppose it was a slightly softer landing because it was their business and I only ended a tiny chunk of it. Mm. So so from that point of view, it wasn't it wasn't such a – it wasn't as traumatic as it might have been. Yes. And in that process, I met somebody else running one of the other divisions and said, well, what are you going to do? Mm. You seem like quite an interesting guy. You seem to have some skills that I don't uh, – I was terrified of sales, but, you know at that point i wasn't i wasn 't a good business developer I was quite shy i don 't know shy is probably not quite the right word i just didn't I had a great fear of putting myself out there yes, and being sort of rejected again and again mm. and i met I met Martin, who became one of my business partners in that in that process uh, in the next company and and he was really. <laughs> You know, a bit more gung ho, really, about putting himself out there. Oh, amazing at it, frankly. And so we had we had lunch in a, a Tokyo diner. In still, I still remember that table sitting there going, "Well, what are you going to do?" know, well, "What are you going to do?" And and out of that, we created what we thought I think was a technology business. We didn't realise we were starting an agency by mistake. Really. So yeah, because we didn't know we didn't. Uh, i certainly hadn't by that stage perceived the difference about how you scale so we started this this business giving advice about how you approach the internet and doing business on the world wide web and we thought so because we thought it was in the internet that we were starting an internet business Mm. Uh, so, so we started that and and really had no business at all for about the first 14 months we were just getting out and talking to people really and that, I suppose that was my first introduction to what I would call a proper startup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you scaled that agency to to what? So we scaled that over time to over a hundred people. Wow. So through wow every kind of near disaster that you can yeah I can have, imagine have with those kind of businesses. We lost one of our business partners to cancer. Oh no. Uh, part way through, which is probably one of the things that that I suppose made us want to exit it. In the end really um but we sold that in 2011 and then out of that process started the the next part of the journey which was all about okay well how do i do something how do we do things at scale what are some interesting things that doing that i can take the you know the the and this is when moniz came in well moniz was one of the first things that i invested in right it wasn't the first the first investment i ever made was in a young guy called josh valman who in in a way of making me feel really old even then and definitely now was my neighbor's daughter's boyfriend so it was a young call him a kid but he's so accomplished that i always really struggled to call him a kid really but he was into 3d printing right he this is a guy who was building robots for other people to enter into robot wars when he was 12 years old because Fucking because he, he was too young to to enter to enter himself had created a six-figure business when he was still at school at 15 no way and and was doing all sorts of interesting things with with china and 3d production and i met him at a local coffee shop and he became he was 17 years old at the time how much did you give him Gave him 25K.
1: <laughs> Give 25K to a 17-year-old?
0: I did. Fuck me. And I think that, that at that point, that's how my thesis started. Was, that's when you knew you were nuts. Oh, no, I knew, knew, knew that a long time <laughs> before that. Well, I didn't, again, a bit like everything I've done, I didn't really have any reference points for how you should go about it particularly. I mean, I knew people who invested yeah. in things. But I suppose I was a little bit fearful, you know, like you can be about going, well, I don't want to look, I don't, know, I don't want to look stupid. Yeah. Uh, so I, who do I go and ask? I'll, is this a good thing or not? I, I, I did, I, sh- I introduced him to a couple of other friends who invested. Right. So I suppose that, that, that probably helped, but I didn't really know. What
1: and did you help him with the business? I assume so. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I still, I mean, that business is still going today. It's profitable. Amazing. He's still as amazing as ever. In fact, gets more amazing. We worked on. Some projects together. Yeah. Uh, he's most recently, as a project that we've done partly, solved a big problem for charity water in wow, helping them predict when their water world's going to get out of commission. That's extraordinary. Uh, and he's just brilliant at it. What a guy.
1: <laughs> what a guy. And then, how did you get into Monies? Obviously, sorry, you said in investment. How did you meet the founder and why did you invest in Monies?
0: Well, Monies was a really easy one for me. Cause Norris and I had worked together at the incubator back in 2000. Oh, wow. So when I met Norris, first of all, he was doing some like, design work and a bit of front, you know, you know, bit of HTML and, and bits and pieces. Then when we started the agency, Norris came with us. So Norris worked with us. I think he was the first one or two people that came and worked with us. And then he built our Estonian operation. So we did development, some of the media operations and things out of Estonia. Norris went off to do some other entrepreneurial things. And then when he, uh, when he had exited one of those, he said, I'm going with my family to Florida. When I'm there, if I get a big idea. I'll call you. I'll call you. <laughs> so
1: I've, I love these stories. Honestly, they get me out of bed in the morning. So he called me
0: from Florida. I think he was in Tampa or somewhere like that at the time. So I think I've got it. I think I've got this idea. So I I imagine, because he's there with his family. Of course. That, you know, we'd meet before Christmas. He's still, you know, planning to be in Florida. Two weeks later, we were sat in a coffee shop in Great Marlborough Street. And he's explaining this idea to me uh, that... Became monies. It wasn't called monies at the time. Yes. But that but
1: that's what it became. And for the people who don't know monies, what, what what was the idea that, that
0: then kind of pivoted into monies? Well, the idea has always been the same. It came from Norris' experience as being an Estonian, arriving in London, cannot for love nor money get a bank account. Yes. And that led him to think, well, I've had this problem. There must be. There's a lot of migrants in this country people coming for work correct they must all have that problem and you looked at the problem of boarding game actually so many people are financially excluded yeah because they just can't get a bank account or yeah. access to financial services yeah. how how big a problem is that and you know he'd sized the market at the time it's 92 million people just in europe are by some degree financially excluded Either because they don't have access to banking, they don't have access to credit, and so it was all about well, how do you make how do you make people's lives better by giving them access to financial, financial services? services? Because yeah. if they don't have it, their life is really hard. So simple, isn't it? And, I, I, yeah. and we, we were, I think, in in many ways, we were we were really naive. He, I mean, Norris wasn't as naive as I was. Um, because he was doing the work day to day. I was, you know, advising a little bit, but he was really, he was really building it. Um, You joined that, didn't you? So I was an advisor from the very, I was the first money in for I don't know, the first, however long, cause it was Norris and it was then eventually as we got round, I'd been doing something else with some other friends and then Norris said, well, look, I need a bit of help. Can you come a day a week? And that turned into two days a week and then three days a week. And then I got involved in raising the Series A. Uh, and from there it was, well. What were you doing there? I was Norris asked me to put together the new all the new commercial structure for all of the core supply. So how do you do the debit cards and the processing? and What does that whole thing look like?
1: you've never had experience of that
0: really though but no i had no experience no of that. but but it was a it was a commercial you know how how do you make this thing make money make money yeah essentially
1: because i assume it's but it's, it's a bit like monzo well in fact it's exactly like monzo
0: isn't it in the in, in that kind of way in the, I mean, the, the traditional sense of what it, monzo was yes yeah so you you know you've got payment for services yes. through the card schemes through banking services and then you charge I mean a bank is is it's different Money isn't isn't a bank it's any money institution so it, it can't hold deposits right um it has to have those safeguarded by a by a third party banking institution but that is one of the things that allowed it to move quickly through different markets mm. and provide its services more broadly it's fascinating what were the fuck ups at monies Well, I think, actually, I think one of the big things at the start that, that we'd made an assumption about the form of regulation, that was a big mistake that turned into one of its biggest strengths. So we'd assumed that you had to go and get regulated, we didn't know that you could operate under somebody else's regulatory umbrella.
1: Revolute, Lithuania, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Well, it's, you, can, you can have somebody who's a regulated party right. and you just get a license right. under them. But we went out and got a, our own license, you know, what's called a small e-money license at the start, because we thought that that's how you had to do it. And, and that meant we had to go through all sorts of processes about how do you onboard people. And, and so we were laboring under this, you know, this false assumption about how we had to do things. And doing things in the wrong way turned out to be the fundamental strength of the business in the early days, because we built this whole onboarding process for migrants under this regulatory form. We went through all of that understanding, all of that learning, all of that product knowledge ourselves to start that we wouldn't have done. And therefore we wouldn't have had this piece of technology that turned into just really the fundamental. Underlying strength of the business, in the early days, just wouldn't have had it.
1: You exited that business, correct?
0: So, well, I, I had a partial exit from two thousand eighteen. I stepped out in two thousand nineteen, uh, but I'm still involved, still a still a major shareholder. Still talk to Norris probably weekly. Really? Yeah.
1: Where does where does that business go now?
0: It's, it's got a fantastic duality of strength so it's got a retail business but it's got an amazing banking platform really so uh so there's been an uh an investment from hsbc in in that business how much has it raised in total just over 200 million dollars yeah, well we you know you know there's there's upsides and downsides always to to raising those amounts of money or well, not least the stress that founder has to go through to oh yeah to get it and Norris you know this is done done in an unbelievable job at at, you know managing the ups and downs of 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 those processes he's uh, he's an incredibly I suppose he's an incredibly level individual he's still the same person that I met way back when it hasn't really changed him at all he's very as zen as you can be about the, the ups and downs, I think I think he is. Which is impressive. Where do you think actually the mental health conversation
1: heads towards now with founders? Because I think we see a lot of... We see more and more founders talking, which is fantastic. Yep. I see more people talking about their mental health, talking about shutting down companies, etc., and having that strength. But I personally, and we've spoken about this, I, I think that actually... The we can make a huge amount of difference from the investment or investor community being more proactive with how mental health is spoken about and being more proactive about, I suppose, being vulnerable, because whether we like it or not, the dynamics of the industry within with founders is heavily skewed towards raising capital. And that gives a certain foundational kind of element to, is it okay to speak or is it not okay to speak? And I think we're going to help a lot more founders be more comfortable talking about their mental health if the investor community is way more proactive about normalizing this conversation. I think that's absolutely
0: 100% accurate. Right. Because we're in, in, in when you're trying to raise money, you're trying to sell. Correct yourself and yeah. you're trying to sell your business you're trying to sell how well you're doing and if you feel that you show vulnerability then you won't raise money yes because you've, you've got to you know show that everything is is rosy in the garden it's fine we're, we're doing fine here and i think that 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 runs counter to the need to talk about when things aren't going well mm. so i think we have to normalize those conversations mm. Because actually, the reality of it is if you don't if you don't get people to talk, if you can't normalize that, then you're reducing as an investor your chances of success anyway yes, where do you think investors get it wrong Do you know i think they're trying to get it right i do i think i think I think they are i'm i'm you know I'm involved with some great v c firms and 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 talking about how your feeling as a as a founder is becoming a, a lot more normal i think a lot of the fear still comes from and of course there are assholes in any industry but that that that's not most people that i come across i think people people typically have human values and they want they want to know They're, they'll worry about their own well okay well what does this mean for you know how this investment's doing and all, and, and all of those sorts of things but but i don't think I think most people approach these things with really human values. Uh, I think a lot of the fear comes from from the founder side. Well, what happens if I make myself vulnerable? Uh, and and although there is going to be a minority of people who who think badly of you or think about purely themselves when you say something, when you talk about how you're feeling, when you're feeling vulnerable, I actually think that most. I would encourage more people to talk their vcs about it because i most of the vcs i know will be really understanding and will find a way to help
1: that's really that's going to be a tough one for a lot of founders it's really
0: tough i, I totally understand no, this yeah, is yeah. not the narrative that you build up but yeah but, but trying to build honesty and vulnerability in into the relationship is is in the end the only it's, sustain, well, it's the only sustainable path because not being and talking about who you are and what you're going through is, it can be really damaging to, mm. to your mental health in particular, but but to in, in the end to a relationship. Mm. This is uh, a,
1: a very different question, but what gets you out of bed in the morning? What excites
0: you? Working with great people. Really? Yeah. Both, both my, you know, my business partners are up and to the right. Nick and Andy, they, they're interesting and curious people. Andy am No, oh. although Andy is also an amazing people, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. person when I get to spend time with him. Right, Andy yeah. Maha. So right, okay, yeah. Andy runs the M&A side yep. uh, uh, of our business well, right. and, and other parts of it as well. And, and just, you know, every time we're on a call and discussing the business that, you know, I look forward to that every day. There's not a day where I don't look forward to that. You know, they challenge me in really great ways. Nick's been my business partner on and off for 25 years. What makes him good? Makes so, him great, sorry. He's just so smart. Really? Yeah, in a way that I'm just not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so he challenges my thinking. I mean, really challenges it. I mean, to, uh, to, to the extent that at this point, we're, we're more like an old married couple Yeah, yeah. than anything. But, but the intellectual stimulation that he gives me and challenges me on, oh, God. So annoying, but he's so right. Yeah, and, and so that that I feel that makes me better. But then working with amazing founders, working in industry that's that's where there's new things all the time. Uh, I spoke to a wonderful lady, Grace, yesterday. First time I'd spoken to a founder doing interesting things with with coaching, and and I thought, oh, you're so smart. <laughs> you know, you you're really going to achieve something because you you're you're great at putting across what it is you're doing why you're doing it you're asking me great questions about what what you should be thinking about next Mm. and i have lots of those conversations every single week yeah and and i I feel that's an enormous privilege to be around people who are curious and optimistic about the future
1: Mm. Mm. most people want to get in front of you to invest in their company and i imagine you get a, a shit ton of deal flow
0: i get sent cold or otherwise about 30 decks a week wow do you read them all yeah really and I, I and you reply to I try and respond with something to every single person really yeah because I know I know what it feels like on the other yeah. side of the table yeah I don't sometimes I'll go through my LinkedIn feed and realise that some you know somebody sent me something yeah and I've, oh, I haven't replied for a couple yeah. of weeks because yeah. yeah. I've just missed it but I will I, I didn't used to I don't know why yeah I don't know well I well, Probably because I think, well, oh, I'm not going to invest. I'm not going to, you know, yeah, but, yeah. but I, I've i come back to the thing. Well, everyone's trying really hard. Yeah, it yeah. may not be for me, but I know they're all trying really hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're passionate about this thing that they're doing. So I can, give it, I can give it a few minutes.
1: What do you look for in a founder? What do you look for in a business? Although actually I know what your answer is going to be.
0: Yeah, you do, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. <laughs> I just answered it there in my question. <laughs> it's all about it, it's all about people and all about the founder but what but breaking that down further
0: it definitely starts with value. i don't want to go on a, it's a stupid asset class this I've, I've said this i've been on record saying this before it's you know if, if i described it as an investment opportunity to you okay well you know invest in my fund my thing yeah you're you're not going to get your money back so i'm going to tie up your money for at least seven to ten years maybe longer but you shouldn't worry about that because actually i'm really likely to lose all of it in the meantime anyway <laughs> so that, that's it as an investment opportunity yeah exactly it's you were at the higher you know end high risk end of things so so you've got to think you know why you're doing if for me I'm trying to make good bets, but I'm not, in essence, doing it for the money. I'm not investing for the money. I'm investing to go on a journey with amazing people. Because no matter what happens to the investment. It's an expensive journey. uh, Yes, possibly, but because I love doing it. Yes. I always feel that no matter if I'm choosing the right people and the right journey, even if the investment doesn't, quite work out then i'll have got a great return from the friendship yeah from from that journey and from the relationship it's like friends of
1: benefits basically isn't it in
0: in in a way yes so so but what do i look for i look for people who've got you know that that tenacity that hunger they've they've worked out they've got an understanding of how they might approach things commercially they've got a you know a certain something about them maybe it's an area that I'm interested in, I invested in a coaching business because coaching changed my life um, way back when. Um, you know, I had a coach who pointed me at a certain point in the right direction that you might want to think about focusing on these kind of areas. Uh, it's got to be a big enough market opportunity because if you are going to, you know... Let me just press you on that. Yeah. What does that... So
1: when we say this is what every single investor says, and quite rightly so. Um, but what is the kind of minimum market opportunity look like for you in size? What does that actually mean in, in reality? Because I think this is where a lot of founders get pissed off with. Well, and actually, sorry to just yeah. to just finish that as well. I think actually it saves a lot of founders from raising trying to raise money when they don't actually have an invested, investable business. Because most businesses aren't actually investable. They don't have a big enough market size. So actually being able to kind of
0: clarify what are the parameters you look for is quite interesting. It's, I think it's a combination of of, of those. I always think these days, if it's not broadly, if you want to get a business to a, you know, to a certain scale, you've got to have a market a VC investable business, typically, the broad rule of thumb is $100 million in revenue potential. So, in any market, what proportion of a market can you own? What's realistic as a proportion of a market to own? If you want to get to $100 million, is getting more than 10% of a market realistic when there's all the other potential solutions that are going to come up into any billion-dollar market? So... I think it's broadly a billion dollars, broadly, and a hundred million in revenue if you're going to go down the VC track.
1: Yes. And as an angel?
0: As an angel, you you have more latitude on that. Right. Okay. You have more latitude on that. And I I think I've definitely post-rationalized that now. Are there things that I've invested in where I thought that that was the potential? I definitely didn't even think about that in the early days. I just didn't. I, no. it, it was I didn't I didn't know that I had to really whatever floats your boat at my, at yeah time. Well, do, do, well, you know, it does this wow does yeah. this is exciting really. yeah do I think
1: this is a rocket ship in a, in every single sense
0: yeah but but did I rationalise it in that way and to a certain extent I I suppose I do that a little bit more right um, but again it's it's like these paths if you're going to VCs work on a power law distribution yes so if I'm investing something that's going to go that thinks it's going to go down a VC path, it's got to, it's got to equate to typical VC maths.
1: Yes. And does that, so that's a really interesting point there, because if a founder says to you, actually, I'm not looking to go down a VC path, but but I would like angel money, probably up to a million over the course of the business. um, And this is the kind of, we're going to three, four, five, six X your money potentially. Is that a turn-off or not?
0: Or do you think, do you know what? Fair enough. I like that. No, I do like that. Yeah. I do like that. If somebody's really clear Mm. on on, on what they want, you know, what the journey is for them, I like them, it's an interesting thing to get involved in. I don't, I'm not just interested in, in outright scale. I think, you know, I put my broad are you going down a VC track leave or you've got to be a VC investable business? You definitely make those calculations yeah. in your mind. But it doesn't have to be that to be a, something that you invest in, no. I don't
1: think. No, It's really interesting. Um, this has been amazing. And, um,
0: and look, I did, based on, you know, I saw your LinkedIn post that you that you put out today. And, yes. You know, Honestly, it's an enormous privilege to be with you today. Well, thank you. Talking about this because I know I know what a
1: yeah three years ago as today we're recording and what's the date today? It's the 20th, I should know that because it was my fiance's birthday yesterday. Um, we went to the uh, the ballet at the Royal Opera House last night, um, and I felt incredibly upper middle class. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, three years ago today I left my first startup because of my mental health yeah and that was one of the worst days of my life uh there's a few pretty bad ones um but the learnings and again i'll learn the the amount i've learned from now exiting luna yep is just extraordinary yeah and yes i have never ever returned money to investors but do i believe i'm investable again 100 percent. fuck yeah um yeah
0: um uh so yeah and you've already look, you've already built something incredible yeah. out of those experiences something that's that's yeah. really important
1: yeah built i built two businesses one of which will do a million quid this year in revenue there you go um and uh with my mum uh which is extraordinary um she runs it now she's fantastic at running it she's been running it for a long time so um yeah i only helped small a small little bit but equally that's, uh, that's startup land for you, isn't it? But this business, I mean, Luna will, it's not, it's not dead, actually. It's really not dead. That's, yep. that's what I said to shareholders. It is, it is, I think it's going to work. Um, but for, for me, it wasn't the business that I wanted to build. As you know, yep. it's gone so far down the wrong path. Well, the wrong path for me, for you, yeah, the yeah, right, yeah. the yep. right path for the market, by the way, and yep. equally, I think it's okay for founders as difficult as it is to have that conversation with yourself first yep. and foremost, to lose the passion, the spark, the fire. And it's not because it's not a great business. It's a really cool business. It's solving a real need. I mean, everybody who's got a dog goes fucking hell, Where can I find a trainer? Yep. Yeah. It's a, it's a great business. Um, but I, I just, there's also the element of burnout, which has been really difficult. I spent yep. two years building, building it. And I, transparently on this podcast i can say i've taken absolutely no money out of the business for 2 years and I, we couldn't raise the money to get to the next stage so yeah. we needed to go lean yeah and that's okay too cuz i think it will raise money but yeah. just not at the moment and i personally can't
0: keep doing this um and you've got something really amazing that you're doing yes because as you, as you said we have to normalize Correct. Talking about these things and having structures and processes and organisations that, that that do that for founders, and you're right at the vanguard of that. Yeah, I hope so. You I, are at the vanguard. I mean, it's not. I don't think that that's even. It's not a debate. No, you, you you absolutely are, and it's really important
1: work. Yeah, I'm. Um. I think season two for this season two for this podcast is going to be mega because equally we can go into as we're doing video and actually begin to turbocharge, um, helping founders find the right mental health support yep. and also the right wellbeing support yeah, because it, there is no kind of platform for that now and actually cementing it within the conversations that you should be having as a founder with investors, VCs, whatever it be. Okay. What? if i need help what what can i do yep. and actually there is budget for that at all stages across yep. the life cycle that's what i'm really interested in because um, that's why i think we're going to really move the needle over the next five years and i just hope i'm at the forefront of that i think i will be but we'll keep doing this podcast as long as possible until um until i don't know
0: <laughs> until it and, and until people stop listening to it well look there's a there's a a huge number of us that really appreciate you know sort of what you're doing with with uh, with the podcast and and putting yourself out there and i really appreciate it we're always here for you buddy amazing top man love to see you thanks cheers